After all that they had been through, here they were at their destination, and in Numbers 13, we read what God told them to do next. Look at Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them all out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Then let's skip to verses 17 through 20. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified, unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to come bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was a season for the first ripe grapes. It's really important at this point to point out that God was not sending these men into Canaan in order to decide if they were going to go ahead and go ahead with his plan and see if God's plan was the right thing to do. God did not send these man, men into Canaan to gather intel and then come back and call a meeting and appoint a bunch of people to a bunch of committees and then sit down and go over the findings and make a decision as to whether or not they should be obedient to God. It's not what he said. He said, go in and take the land that I gave you. He was sending them to Canaan so that these men would come back and tell all of the people, maybe, maybe as much as, as greater than a million people, this is the place. This place is awesome. Let's go. That's what he sent them there for. So they would come back and say, this is absolutely the place that God has promised. So we read that the scouts went into Canaan. They stayed for 40 days, and they returned with their report. Moses had told them to bring back some grapes, and they did. Look at verse 23. When they reached the valley of Eskel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried up on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That's some serious grapes. It took two men to carry a single cluster of grapes. When they got back, these men who all went to the same place, all of these guys went to the same place and saw the same thing. They gave their report on what they saw. The problem is that even though they all witnessed the same things, they brought back different reports. Let's look what some of them said, verses 26 through 28. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Look what we brought back. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Look at this grape. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Well, that doesn't sound good. Then we drop down to verse 30, and we see that Caleb speaks. Look what Caleb said. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
stop all this foolishness. Let's do what God said to do. So it's settled. Right? God promised it to us. It's there. Let's go do what God said. Sounds pretty simple, right? The problem is the other guys had something else to say. Verses 31 through 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are of great size. A couple interpretations says, the people we saw were giants. They were 50 feet tall. We can't do that. They all saw the same thing. And yet, a couple guys said, let's do this. And the rest of them said, we can't. That land devours everybody that goes into it. The people are huge. We can't fight them. And so in spite of God bringing them from horrible slavery in Egypt, in spite of God making a way for them to cross the Red Sea on dry land, when their enemy was breathing down their necks, in spite of God providing water and manna and even quail for them, in spite of God providing for every need they had, here they stand at the place where God has led them, and for whatever reason, they felt like they had to make a decision. So now let me go back to the story I was talking about. Anybody here a NASCAR fan? Okay, a couple. On Sunday, February 18th, 2001, NASCAR was holding the Daytona 500 in Daytona Beach. Back then, we had church on Sunday night, so when we got out of church that night, we were listening, Jeffrey and I were listening to the radio on the way home to hear the results of the race. What we heard was that Dale Earnhardt Sr. had been involved in a serious accident. When we got home, Jeffrey and I turned on the TV to see what was going on. As they were replaying this horrible wreck, an announcement came on that Dale Earnhardt Sr. had died as a result of his injuries. It was a terrible loss to NASCAR fans. So we're watching, and they're talking about all different stuff. Later that night, a local TV station decided to send a mobile crew out to a little beach on the Pinellas County side of the Howard Franklin Bridge. They wanted to get some reactions about the terrible news. Let me preface this next part with the information. This beach has always been known as a place for a lot of partying. And since it was Daytona 500 day, there were a lot of partying Daytona 500 fans, a lot of NASCAR fans, which is probably why the TV station chose this particular spot. They interviewed several people. And I can honestly tell you, I don't know a single word of what one of those people said. I don't know any reaction that anybody had except one woman. My best guess is that she had been at the beach for most of the day, participating in the various activities of the day, among which obviously involved consuming large quantities of adult beverages. It was pretty obvious from her appearance and her speech that she had participated quite well <laughs> in the activities of the day. 
And the reporter asks her a question. And the, the camera comes around to her, and there's a mic up in her face, and he says something along the lines of, how do you feel about the news that Dale Earnhardt Sr. has died today as a result of an accident? She paused for a minute. She seemed to tear up. And she turned and looked right into the camera. And she said, what are we going to do? She was obviously devastated. Maybe it was the alcohol that was talking, but her reaction came across as a bit over the top. And Jeffrey and I could not help ourselves. We just busted out laughing. And since that time, Jeffrey has told that story to a lot of his friends, and even to this day, every now and then, Jeffrey or one of his friends will be in the middle of a conversation and somebody will let out with, what are we going to do? And that's what I want to title this sermon today. Standing at the border of God's promises, what are we going to do? I chose that title because if we go back to the book of Numbers, chapter 14, we see that that was pretty much the response of the people to the report of the men who came back from Canaan with the bad report. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Keep in mind, this is people that were slaves. They were beaten and forced to work for the Egyptians, and God had delivered them out of Egypt and provided for them all the way to Canaan and said, all you have to do is go in there and it's your land. And they cried and moaned all night long about the report. All of the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Rather than step into the promises that God had given them, let's go back into slavery. The short version of that is, what are we going to do? <laughs> Everything was there. And yet, what are we going to do? Moses, his brother Aaron, and two of the men who went into Canaan, Joshua and Caleb, tried to get the people to listen. Look at verses 6 through 8. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephune, were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Amen. And you would think that the people would hear those words and go, well, you know, he makes a good point. Yeah. After all, we're already here. We're not slaves anymore. And there it is. And that's, that's not what happened. Verse 10 says, in response to that, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
God spoke to Moses and told him, I've seen enough. He told Moses he was going to strike every one of them dead with a plague. Moses begged for the lives of the people. He begged God for forgiveness for the wrong that they had done. God told Moses in verse 20 that he would forgive them, but he went on to tell Moses what he was going to do. Look at verses 26 through 29. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years or old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. If you read on the next several verses, God tells the Israelites that they would spend 40 years now walking around in the desert. And when that 40 years had passed, only Joshua, Caleb, and those who were currently under 20 years of age would go into Canaan because everybody else is going to die. That's what he told them. That's exactly what happened. The people who were 20 years old or older at the time did not go into Canaan. The Israelites as a group would wander around in the desert for 40 years until that group died off. And then their children went into the land of Canaan that God had promised them. And there are a lot of directions that we could go from here in this sermon, but here's where I want us to go today. God has brought High Point Church a long way from where we were two years ago. You go, well, I don't, this place isn't full. You should have been here two years ago. And now we as a church and as individual, individuals stand at a place today facing several opportunities. There is some fear, but God has already fought the battles. There are some unknowns to us, not to God, but God has already been there. I'm sure that there are even some what are we going to do's. But God has brought us to this place where we are today for a purpose, and that is his purpose. And as simplistic as it might sound, we just need to follow him. Just as he did with the Israelites, God has blessed this church miraculously. We have a beautiful facility. We have no debt. We have a strong core of loving people, and God has provided everything we need. Over the past couple of years, we have seen what God can do. We have seen what God has done. And some of y'all are the very grapes, figs, and pomegranates as proof of what God has in store for us. What God has in store for us as we go forward. And y'all can decide who the grapes and the figs and the pomegranates are. I stand here today looking at proof of God's goodness and the proof of the fulfillment of his promises. I'm not one to argue whether the glass is half full or half empty. We have a glass and there's something in it. That's why I'll leave it at that. We are not empty. We are not defeated. Romans 8, 31 through 39 says this. What, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is that? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be a slaughtered. We'll stop right there. Let me say this once more. We are not empty. We are not defeated. We are more than conquerors through Christ. And if God is for us, and I truly believe he is, who can be against us? Go to the New Testament. Throughout his ministry, Jesus predicted his own death. He told his disciples that he would be going away someday. A few days before his crucifixion, he went with some of his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was here in this very garden that Judas betrayed Jesus. It was here that the soldiers seized Jesus. Peter tried to stop them, but in his lame attempt to cut off somebody's head, all he did was cut off this guy's ear. And I'm sure, I, I feel sure that Jesus bent over and picked up the ear, probably apologized. I'm sorry for him. And then he put the guy's ear back on. Peter chastised, or Jesus chastised Peter, and he said this, Matthew 26, 55 and 56. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple teaching and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophet might be fulfilled. And this is the important line. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Keep in mind, these are the same disciples that had seen him perform miracle after miracle. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him feed thousands of people with just a tiny little bit of food. He, they saw him speak to the wind and the waves and saw the wind and the waves calm down just by Jesus speaking, peace be still. And they saw so much more. And yet, here are these same men, Jesus' Jesus' closest followers, they have run off and abandoned him. Somehow I feel the question of what are we going to do probably ran through their minds as they physically ran away from this place where Jesus was arrested. You might be thinking, what do these two stories have to do with one another? Well, since you ask, I'll time together. In the story of the Israelites in Canaan, yes, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, just like God told Moses. But at the end of that period of difficulty, when they were willing to be obedient and when they were willing to follow God as he led them, they went into the promised land and received the fulfillment of every promise that God had given them. It was theirs to take. God told them, wherever you put your foot, I will give you that land. Now, I will tell you, they fought some battles. But God was with them through every battle. And as long as they were obedient to God, they were victorious. And then there's those disciples. Even though the, the scripture says that they all ran away from where Jesus was. 
eventually after Jesus died and rose from the grave. Each of them, except Judas, renewed their commitment to him and went on to do amazing things. None of them were professional preachers. They weren't professional pastors. There, was a, there were fishermen. There was a doctor. There was a tax collector. And yet when they finally trusted Jesus to lead them, they set something into motion that has lasted and has grown for centuries. How did they do it? They didn't. They didn't do it on their own. Jesus told them in Acts 1 and 8 that when they left, he would not leave them alone, but he would send them a comforter. And that comforter was the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that he would, and that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. He sent them the Holy Spirit. And just as he told them, the Holy Spirit gave them power and they became witnesses. So if you've been walking around asking yourself or saying out loud, what are we going to do? Here's what I think God is saying to each of us. Number one, follow where he leads us. If he says go into Canaan, then go into Canaan. Even if you don't understand, even if you're scared, go into Canaan. The same God that brought you to Canaan will give you the land that is set before you. I don't know what your Canaan is. It might be helping with Meals on Wheels. It might be participating in the homeless ministry. It might be being a part of the hospitality ministry here at High Point Church. It might be volunteering to, to clean the church. And the list goes on and on. See me after church if you don't know what it might be. The second thing that I believe God is saying us to us today is that we need to know that he has not left us alone. The same comforter that Jesus spoke of to his disciples is here for us today. If you have never received the Holy Spirit, let me tell you that receiving the Holy Spirit is a promise to you. In his very first sermon, right after he received the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up and preached this scathing message to those who had gathered. He told them, you have crucified Jesus the Messiah. Look at Acts 2.36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He didn't hold back. But when he was finished, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, it says that they were cut to the heart. Look at what the re reaction was. Acts 2.37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the other apostles, brothers, what are we going to do? <laughs> Peter answered their question in Acts 2.38. He said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if someone's thinking, well, that was, that was just for that day. Acts 2.39 says, Peter went on to say, the promise, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So did it work? I'd say it did. Look at um, verses 40 and 41. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Not bad results for a first sermon. If you have never repented of your sins, 
Why not do it today? If you have not been baptized and have not received the Holy Spirit, why not do that today? Let me Let me stop and insert something here before we go any further. As the pastor of High Point Church, I could stand here and tell everyone, step out when God calls you. And then I could stand around and see who does it and who doesn't. But let me tell you, that's not leadership. That's being a glorified hall monitor. And I wasn't called here to be a glorified hall monitor. I have been the pastor here at High Point Church for a little over two years. In that time, we have seen a lot of good things happen. We've seen tremendous growth, both numerically and spiritually. But over the past few months, I have felt that God was calling me to do something that I was not very comfortable with. As some of you know, we own a business in Lakeland, a business we started about 14 years ago. Recently, I have felt that God was speaking me to me to close my business and concentrate completely on High Point Church. And there's probably somebody thinking, well, that's no big deal. You can just live on what you get paid here at High Point Church. That's a great thought. Right now, the church is not in a financial position to pay me as a pastor. And for now, you know what? That's okay. Ruthie and I have prayed about this. And we have made a decision that for now, we will live on what she makes. And that's okay, too. I will tell you that over the many weeks that I have wrestled with this decision, I called several people, some people that I look to as spiritual leaders and others that are business people, and I think I was hoping that along the way, in one of those conversations, somebody would say, dude, that's a terrible idea. And instead, each of them came back with the same, same answer. I think that's a great idea. So what did I do? I prayed some more. Maybe hoping that God would change his mind. And every time that I prayed, I felt like God was saying this. If you want to see what you say you want to see, then do what I'm leading you to do and go where I'm leading you to go. Before somebody gets all nervous, I'm not here today asking for money. That's not it at all. As the church continues to grow, those things will take care of themselves. That's not what this is about. What I am saying is that regardless of how difficult it might be, I am going to do everything that I feel God is leading me to do. I will never ask anyone to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. But I am asking 
that as I step out in faith, that you would listen to what God is saying to you and do the same. It might not be comfortable. Boy, do I know that. I am one of those people that I have backup plans to the backup plans to the backup plans. And there's no backup plan here. I am stepping out in faith because I feel like God has said, this is what you need to do. If you want to see what you say you want to see, then do what I'm telling you to do. And when we step out in faith, and I can't believe I'm saying these words, when we step out in complete faith, God's our backup plan. God has blessed us in the recent times that we don't have huge debt, and that's fantastic. And we're going to be okay. I don't want anybody leaving here, what's Brother David going to do? <laughs> we have a lot of opportunities right now here at High Point Church. And as we continue to grow, there will be even more. God has great things in store for High Point Church. And we are only seeing a small portion of that right now. If we are going to see the things that God wants to see at High Point Church, we will only accomplish them by being willing to step out into the promises that have been set before us. And even if it's difficult, we will be able to do those things with the help and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. You can't do it. No one can do it on their own. But with the Holy Spirit in us, leading us, together we can go into the Canaan that God has set before us, and we will be victorious. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All means all. All things means all things, including the opportunities that we at High Point Church have today. And that also means any difficulties that we might come upon in the, in the meantime while we're going forward. Remember I said that the, the Israelites had to, they fought some battles. When they finally went into Canaan, it wasn't just all, boom, houses popped up and cities popped up and, and everything. No, they fought a lot of battles. But as long as they did what God said, they were victorious. There might be some battles we fight. But if we will trust God, if we will do what he has called us to do, no matter how difficult it might seem, we will be victorious. Don't be afraid. Trust God. Make sure your salvation is secure. Above and beyond anything else, make sure that your salvation is secure. And when we have all done that, and when we all go forward full of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we won't just be standing at the border of God's promises. 
We won't just be standing at the border and looking over this. Oh, look what it, how beautiful it is. When we do that, we won't be standing at the border. We will step into those promises and see what God has already prepared for us individually and as a church. I know this is a different kind of sermon. It's not one that makes you want to jump up and shout. But I will tell you, it's the truth. We have a lot of things before us. And I know that there are people in this very room that God is speaking to and saying, you need to step out. You need to do some things. Yeah, but I, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to do that yet, God. And there might be some folks that are standing at the border and saying, I don't want to do that. I want to go back into being a slave. God brought you to where you are today for a reason. He did not bring you to where you are today to go back to where you came from. He did not bring you where you are today to stand there and just gaze across the border. And he did not bring you here today to wherever you are in your walk with him. He did not bring you to that point to where you could reject what he has for you and then wander around for the rest of your life in regret. of what could have been. If God is speaking to your heart today, listen. Listen to what he's saying to you today. And I'm not going to stand here and pretend that I know what God is calling you to do. But there's some folks here today that know what God is calling them to do. And there's some that have started making those steps across the border of Canaan. There are some that are still standing there looking and saying, I don't know if I'm ready. And there will always be some who will say, I'm not going to do it. It's too hard. I'm afraid. It's not going to be easy. I want it, but... Listen to God speak to your heart today. If you have never made a start to live for God, this is a beautiful day to do it. The plan of salvation is simple. We realize that, that we're all sinners. There's nothing we can do about it on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough. But God in his love for us, as we said earlier, looked down through time and he saw that we would need something to 
redeem us. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. And he died for you. He died for me. If we will acknowledge that he is the son of God, if we will acknowledge that we have accepted him as payment, what he did on that cross as payment for our sins, if we will repent, the Bible says that he will remove those sins from our lives and he will cast them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us again. Clean. And if you have never done that, would you come today as we stand this morning? If you have never made a start to live for God, if you have never made a start to follow Jesus, if you have never accepted him as your Savior, that is where it starts. Would you come today? As we sing a chorus, I would ask that if you need prayer this morning, if you need to pray, if you want to come and talk to the Lord, these altars are open. Let's sing a chorus.